Future Sense is a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name, broadcast on Bay FM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Hosted by Nick Jeans and well-known international futurist Steve McDonald, Future Sense provides a fresh, deep analysis of global trends and emergent technologies. How can we identify the layers of growth personally, socially, and globally? What are the signs missed, the truths being denied? Science, history, politics, psychology, ancient civilizations, alien contact, the new psychedelic revolution, cryptocurrency, and other disruptive and distributed technologies, and much more. This is Future Sense. You're listening to Future Sense with Nick Jeans and Steve McDonald, and we've been talking today about the global situation and particularly the different value systems, human value systems that are at play and were at play before the COVID-19 crisis blew up. And the fact that we are in a a large-scale shift at the moment, you could call it a global revolution, there's no doubt about that, which is taking us from the scientific industrial paradigm, layer five values according to Claire Graves' model, into the emergent layer six values, which are communally oriented and very much about reconnecting with each other and reconnecting with nature. So in the next part of the show, we're going to talk about what we might expect next. We're going to look at these value systems, what their motivations are, and how they might respond to the current situation around the globe. And we're also going to take a look at some other sources of information too, including astrology, Nick. Yes, let's have a little look at astrology for those who are interested in this. For those who are not, listen anyway. Maybe you'll find something here. Uh, you know, astrology is, um, one could say, a, a sort of transrational approach, a, a mirror, uh, something to read. It's not the causative um, nature of things. The sort of stars don't actually literally make things happen, but they certainly reflect them very well. I, I might just uh, add there, Nick, that astrology, like everything else, can be interpreted in different ways and through different value systems. And so you can take a very simplistic approach to astrology and just look at the sun sign forecast and the, right. you know, the daily whatever it is, yeah. which I used to do years ago. And I, I must admit that I kind of lost faith in it because it didn't work most of the time. But then, you know, if you want to take a more complex approach to it and be open to the fact that we live in a holographic universe mm-hmm. where the the very nature of everything is embedded in everything. And if you look the right way at pretty much everything, you can find information that uh, you might not think would be there, actually. It's very true. And I think that's a part of the opening up uh, that we are, many of us experiencing, is this uh, availability to different forms of knowledge, different ways of knowing. Uh, they say, I think, I have, a, I have a quote here, actually, that's relevant. If I can quickly skim it back to where I found that this morning. Please do. I, I am. I'm going back here. Oh, yeah, this is actually actually also quoted in The Change Code by Monica Bourgeau, the book that uh, we talk about and have given away here. Uh, it's actually from Bertrand Russell, and it's called The Russell Effect. You might remember this. It's this. The whole problem with the world is that fools and fanatics are always so certain of themselves and wiser people so full of doubts. And I like that very much because I, I think in some ways um, we, we those of us who might be uh, uh, have a... Uh, and uh, alignment to things like astrology or to other ways of knowing can seem to be fools and fanatics. On the other hand, um, perhaps we're wiser people who are doubtful about uh, official versions and like to like to read broadly across different different uh, ways of understanding things, ways of ex- accessing and making sense of knowledge. 
So I encourage you to do so if it rings for you, because obviously, as, as Steve's saying, depending on where you are, who you are, and what interests you, will you resonate or not with different uh, different uh, ways of seeing things. And really, the ultimate test is whether it works. You mm. know, listen to the information, wait and see what happens, and then see if it actually works. That's right. One of the most amazing things about this time is it is quite extraordinary astrology in this era that we are in, in this period, in this year in particular. And I've spoke a bit about that last week. We are in a a unique time, which is once, it depends on who you read, what you read, but once in hundreds and or thousands, in some cases, years, some of the conjunctions, that means when planets are in the same position in the sky together or appear to be so from our perspective. And we're seeing a lot of that this year in Capricorn with Pluto, Saturn and Jupiter doing a sort of dance through there and Mars also currently or just recently having danced across Capricorn. All the planets, of course, take different amounts of time to transverse a particular uh, sign. Pluto takes about 20 years per sign, whereas, for example, Jupiter takes one year, Mars about two and a half months. So you see this uh, this elegant uh, dance between planets uh, continually in the sky in what's called uh, aspects or transits to, uh, to uh, your own chart. So it affects everybody differently in that way. But at the moment today, very much when we're recording this April 5th, but also very concurrent as you listen to this on the 6th, and in this two or three week period, which is clearly a crisis on the whole planet like we have never seen before. We are seeing uh, these planets in a particular conjunction, which is quite rare. Jupiter and Pluto right now are converging in uh, in Capricorn. And one could say, and they do this three times this year because of the retrograde effect to the apparent backward motion of planets at times from our perspective. They do so also on June the 29th and November the 12th, which I think I mentioned last week, which will be, is the week of the presidential elections in the U.S., now, that conjunction, Jupiter and Pluto, is sort of saying, exposing the false self that took over the world when we weren't looking. I kind of like that. <laughs> and Pluto is a great awakener who shakes disguises off. And I think this is what we're seeing, the revelation of how so many of our uh, structures, our systems, our institutions simply don't do what they're supposed to do and uh, are continually sort of shoring themselves up in one way or the other, often just with good marketing against what uh, is becoming fairly obvious to many people on the planet that they actually don't work. And we've seen that in the coronavirus um, uh, outbreak here that uh, these systems are, are scrambling to find an appropriate response. And that response is higgledy-piggledy, sometimes appropriate, sometimes good, you could argue, and sometimes maybe not so. So Pluto's the great awakener, shaking those disguises off and activating a deeper life force trapped below. And very much the below is important with Pluto. What's actually deep inside us now? What's actually being moved? I think that's what we're talking about, this uh, forced isolation, bringing about a potential for going inside and sitting with the self, whatever that means to you, and finding that inner peace or perhaps finding what you really want to do with life. It's a great opportunity. So Jupiter's job is to lift you out of limited mindsets and deliver a vision of your optimal destiny as the future you'd activate by following the true call of your soul rather than settling for a lesser path. One could argue the lesser path being that layer five uh, industrial uh, modality we've been living in where you basically do what you have to do to survive and to make your way and to, to win and to defeat and to compete and do all that. So these potent forces of Jupiter and Pluto are combining this year. Right now as we're speaking today, this is happening as it, as it is. And that's making it unbearable throughout this year to maintain the charade. I think that's a good expression. Very hard to maintain the charade now. The global pandemic is stripping away false selves from the raw, vital beings hidden below. Whether you take this as apocalyptic or resurrectional, 
depends on how invested in the old identity you remain and how willing to believe that something vitally real can emerge from the death of everything that never worked right in the first place, says this writer. Those are all in capital letters. The death of everything that never worked right in the first place. That's pretty clear. So at the same time this week, uh, we also have Mars, which has moved into Aquarius. Mars has passed over those planets. There's been conjunctions in the last week or so with Mars, uh, with the, the planets in Capricorn. But Mars and Aquarius is suggesting that there's some pushing for new paradigm solutions right now, and that is appropriate. It's a good time in the next couple of months while Mars is in Aquarius to really start to push the boundaries, to think outside of the box, fighting for our freedoms, but we're not fighting with our fists, not with Mars and Aquarius. We're fighting with our minds. We're fighting with thinking clearly and thinking, well, in a revolutionary way, but individually, I think. And also with that coming together, but sharing information. We're seeing a lot of that happening at the moment, of course, uh, good, bad and indifferent information. So you've got that revolutionary aspect uh, to, with Mars and Aquarius. You've also got um, the, uh, the particular focus on injustice and societal problems which become very impossible to ignore while Mars is in Aquarius. And no doubt in this next uh, couple of months, we're going to see some of the fallout as uh, perhaps the coronavirus uh, pandemic uh, risk uh, is lessened to some degree. We're then going to see the, uh, the societal problems emerge across the board in, in so many ways. So it's going to, it's going to be there anyway, because Aquarius, Aquarius is the humanitarian sign of the zodiac. And it's especially concerned with what's happening to the underdog. So you might find yourself, and I think all of us to one degree or other, starting to really feel if your situation is not dire, but bad enough or different enough or challenging enough as it is, but many other people that you may know and certainly people in other parts of the world are going through extreme or will be going through extreme pressures in this next period of time. So it's a powerful opportunity for reformation and for revolution during this transit. Uh, and um, just remember that that rebellious nature actually is a very positive thing with Mars and Aquarius. You don't have to, you know, buck the system. It doesn't mean you don't do what you're told to do with regards to the virus, as we said earlier today. Do what's necessary to with uh, to comply with societal uh, societal mores at this time for sure. But with that time on the inside with yourself, that time by yourself, or with just those close few to you, there is an opportunity to find a revolutionary, a humanitarian rebellion inside of you. Also, the last thing about Mars and Aquarius is it's very focused on technology and the future. So there's also that, uh, that aspect of becoming more active actually on social media and, and finding ways to connect. And we've talked about that a little bit before. There's a lot of different groups and support mechanisms appearing on some of the social media platforms, besides the fact that you can watch a bunch of sci-fi movies on Netflix, which would also be an expression of Mars and Aquarius. So we're seeing a, a quite an opportunistic period we've just entered with that while this, uh, this lingering and still for quite a long time uh, play and dance between the planets in Capricorn. Uh, Jupiter and Pluto. Saturn's just moved into Aquarius too in the last week, but it's going to move back. That's a suggestion to me that it's not over yet, and that's for sure. We're seeing, a, a, in a sense, a kind of respite right now, but I think we're just about to see in the full moon coming up this week uh, on the 8th, we're about to see uh, the next layer, the next level emerge, and I, we have no idea what that may look like. Thanks, Nick. That's really good. Uh, so much of that really hits the spot. You're tuned to Future Sense with Nick Jeans and Steve McDonald. Engage, emerge, activate, and spiral up. It's interesting just to sit and ponder the concept of a global revolution 
and you know, we can look back through history and we can look at various revolutions and each revolution is shaped very much by the different value systems which are at play and I guess the ones that we were taught most about in school uh, often involved layer four versus layer five like trying to move beyond that sort of rigid authoritarian uh, social structure to a freer more individualistic kind of a social structure where my marble is the biggest marble and it's going to take all your marbles <laughs> that's right something like that <laughs> and yet here we are uh, facing a different kind of revolution now one that we haven't seen on the planet before uh, which still involves layer five and, and I guess for many that is the main concern because if, you know, when we look back over the scientific industrial era at the, some of the behaviours which have been tolerated and promoted during that time it's concerning to think that um, that whole paradigm is probably not going to go down uh, or you know recede from domination, global domination, quietly. It's quite unlikely. Uh, one of the encouraging things, though, is, and this has really been shown up by the, the COVID-19 pandemic, is that the typical solutions that that paradigm comes up with really don't cut it. And... and What's been amazing to me is to see that governments which have been behaving very much in line with the old paradigm suddenly start behaving differently. Yeah, we, we alluded to that a little last week, and there's quite a lot of debate out there about that very fact that uh, those on the right wing, including uh, the uh, the government of this country, the Scott Morrison government, um, a fairly right wing, certainly right of centre government, which is appearing to be incredibly socialist right now with the amount of money that it's generously giving out all over the place. Exactly. And meanwhile, um, the the left um, uh, tends to be quite okay with a, a bit more of a police state and the military being used in the shutdown, which you, you would argue they would not, not normally be subscribing to. So we're seeing that... Uh, that um, that fading between uh, the polarizations and uh, politically speaking with regards to some of these things which is which is a good thing yeah it's very interesting um i've i think uh just pondering the old paradigm is a kind of a concrete slab you know it could be a good a good analogy i mean it's certainly been uh, the, the source of a whole lot of concrete hasn't it around the world in the last couple hundred years and think of the old paradigm the concrete slab cracking under you know because of disruption the earth's moving underneath and things are changing and, and it's cracking and some pieces of the the slab are kind of cracking off so they're actually separate you know the, in fact the whole slab is kind of fragmenting at the moment it's no longer you know the solid piece that it was now it's breaking up into other bits of pieces and uh, and in between in those cracks we're seeing new things emerging into the sunlight mm. you know like plants growing up nature re-emerging for example yeah, which really fits with the theme of the of the sixth layer uh, as the the light is getting in where it wasn't able to get before and uh, the, the darkness that was underneath the slab is being exposed and I, I guess the opportunity now is that in these cracks in between uh, where those things are sprouting, there is the opportunity to uh, fertilize those things and mm. to focus on those things and to help them grow and, and maybe throw a few more seeds uh, mm. down in the cracks there. Yes, throw some seeds, that's for sure. If you, if you can get any, it's quite hard to get seeds at the moment. <laughs> it's hard to buy them. Even here in Byron Bay. Yeah, well, no, you, there, there are places. <laughs> I have sources, don't worry. Um, I'm just looking here at, the, at uh, Monica's book, The Change Code, again, and some of the uh, the transition from orange to green. Uh, and I note an interesting thing here, which I'm sure you can expand on, and that is the uh, the emotion that drives the transition 
from orange to green is loneliness. That's right. And uh, fascinating to think about that given this connected world that we have, which fortunately right now as we speak, we are able to connect with you and we connect with each other around the world through the technology which has arisen in Layer 5. It's part of the, the wonders of that have emerged in this layer, that sort of technology. But because it's gone too far in some sense, there is a sense of isolation and aloneness emerging in people. And in some ways, I think that's the great relief of this uh, this coronavirus uh, social isolation is we actually have to, A, be really isolated with ourselves or with our loved ones and actually perhaps get over some of the, 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 the difficulties we have with other people. You can imagine some of the problems that some people are having out there for sure. I, I can imagine, yeah. But uh, I think that notion like, well, how do we connect? Now, what's real as a connection? As we come out of this, what does connection look like in the future? I wonder about that. Mm. Yeah, it's it's a good question. And uh, the fact that we are being isolated, as I said earlier in the show, you know, opposites generate their opposite over time. Mm. So if you isolate somebody, you're, you're going to generate the desire for the opposite of isolation. I mean, that's that's pretty much common sense, isn't it? Yeah. So we can expect uh, that elastic band that's being stretched to you know flick back in the opposite direction once the opportunities arise. Uh, from a from a global revolutionary perspective, though, we do need to be vigilant because the same is going to happen for the other value systems. So for, uh, you know, for layer five, people are operating out of layer five, uh, seeing their way of living being disrupted and wanting naturally to try and get it back, then we can expect them. We can bank on the fact that they will uh, pull out all stops to try and hang on to the old system, keep the old system going. And we, it would be reasonable to expect to see some extreme expressions of their strategy once we move into the next phase of, of what's unfolding globally right at the moment. Mm. So I think we should uh, steel ourselves for that. We should expect that to happen, not be surprised when it does happen, but also take some solace in the fact that the Layer 5 strategies really aren't working very well at all. So whatever they try, it's likely to generate more energy that's going to take us towards Layer 6, the emergence of Layer mm. 6. Yeah, I also wonder, depending on how much is lost by how many, uh, those who have resources, have money, uh, have stocks, have bonds, have other forms of assets in one way or the other, and how much and how many people will be affected by this particular calamity that's occurring now. And thus, uh, if those people are largely perhaps uh, situated in Layer 5, they may not be, uh, but they're going to have a, quite a hard time to scramble back and regain their wealth. In fact, it's well nigh impossible. So I wonder what the strategy might be given the situation where people lose that much. Yeah, I know. I mean, the, the saving grace is that everything is connected. So mm. we are so connected and so dependent upon each other at this time that no one can afford any significant group of society to be left behind because the, it will impact everybody. Um, you know, and just take your average suburb in your average city anywhere in the world. If if a good selection of people are unable to uh, afford to live, for example, imagine the difficulties that's going to create in your street, right? Yeah, right. Uh, and um, and even you know, even for folks who might be uh, in very um, fortunate circumstances, you know, in in fortunate suburbs. 
they won't find life the same in a city, you know, where the other side of the city is unhappy and the other side of the city is disrupted or it's not fed properly or it hasn't got uh, utilities and those sorts of things. So we, we just cannot try as hard as we might disconnect ourselves from each other at the mm. moment. And, and that, that really will be a saving grace because people will will find practically that, okay, we have to lift everybody up here. Yeah. Yeah, and we have to do that locally. We have to do it with a sense of resilience. We use that word quite often on this show. But it does give that opportunity for the green values to emerge, doesn't it? And there will be resistance, as you're saying. People will not be there in themselves or in their families or in their particular tribal or or national uh, um, collectives. Yeah. But overall, the pressure will tend to be towards more collectivism, more consensus, more social safety nets, uh, and more communication and more connection with the planet and with each other. And that will be the, uh, let's hope so, that will be the, the, the abiding pressure in societies around the world through this. Yes. With a lot of resistance, as you're saying, you, we have to be very vigilant because it's not going to be easy to, to transition. No, that's right. I mean, there are some obvious things that we can expect. And I, I might just go back to the value systems and look specifically at the value systems uh, and some of the particular challenges that they might throw up. In places where layer four values are playing out, and uh, again, they they are more prominent at the moment because of this values regression that's been taking place in, in recent years, uh, the rigidity from layer four strategies is going to actually create possibly the most tension within societies, you know, where, where mm. governments or authorities or groups of people are being completely rigid about what they are demanding or what they will or won't do then uh, that's that's really creating a lot of tension on that slingshot and it will consequently attract the most pushback. Mm. Well, uh, one of those, just as a slight aside, it just occurred to me uh, a piece that I found about um, Israeli police taking on ultra-Orthodox Jews because one of the things that hasn't been talked about that much is the, uh, is the closing down of all sort of religious ceremonies, churches, mm. synagogues, everywhere, everything, certainly in, the Western, in Western countries, and that which are essentially layer four uh, entities, uh, so they're not operating the same way anymore. So those people who are used to having that that strong layer four um, home in their churches, whatever denomination it might be, they don't have that anymore. So that's a that's quite a powerful thing. Just that it is absolutely their lives have been disrupted, and you know those are the sorts of things that give rise to value shifts. They give rise to values regressions, where people, for example, who might have been living by layer four might regress to, to layer three. In which case you might find, you know, uh, violent protests and those yep. sorts of things, and and we were seeing plenty of that going on before COVID nine broke out in places like France, Hong Kong, yes, absolutely, uh, and and others, plenty of other places actually. If you if you want to go and Google protests twenty nineteen and just see how many countries come up there, it, there was a lot going on yeah. before this began, and and this is a temporary pause. It's it's not fixing those problems at all. In in many respects, it's actually making them worse. Yeah. Uh, so we ought to be aware and prepared for changes in that order. You know, once we come out the other side of this, uh, and you kind of touched on it there. You know, the economy and the economic disruption really is the biggest issue here uh, by far. I mean, very very few people will actually catch and and suffer from you know symptoms of COVID nineteen globally, but everybody's catching the economic fallout. There's no doubt about that whatsoever. And the economic fallout is going to um, be expressed within a world that 
had all the problems it had when we came into this situation, which would, which have all been, you know, many of them have been put on pause at the moment. So mm. it's going to be expressed within a world of, of corruption and, uh, you know, crumbling democratic systems. It's going to be expressed within a world where social systems are no longer doing the work that they used to do. And, uh, you know, people are realizing that and they're demanding change. Uh, so we do. We need to be vigilant uh, as we re-emerge into the world, and we need to look for those uh, cracks in the, the concrete slab where we can throw a few more seeds and pour a bit of fertilizer. And and really, that is the fastest way out of of this is to help this new paradigm grow uh, and lift everybody out. You know, because it's that's its nature. Layer six. That paradigm's nature is communal values. It is to rebalance things. It is to redistribute things. It's to have strong networks. It's to have resilient communities. And those are all the things that we need to work on. Yeah. We'll take a break and we'll come back for the last segment here on Future Sense. You're tuned to. And uh, as I've been saying, of course, futuresense.it is the website where you can access the uh, podcast, which is usually uh, up within 24 hours of this broadcast, which you are hearing on Monday if you're tuned into the radio or via our website. We're recording this, as you know, like all other radio shows on Bay FM at the moment from uh, remote locations. Uh, and we are recording on the 5th and it is, uh, you're listening to it on the 6th. We'll be back after this. Here on BFM. You're resonating right now on Future Sense with Steve McDonald and Nick Jeans. You're listening to Future Sense with Nick Jeans and Steve McDonald, and we're recording this on Sunday, the 5th of April, for our Monday, the 6th of April show. We've been talking about the role of value systems in human behavior, the, uh, the things that were going on in the world and being driven by various value systems prior to the COVID 19 breakout. And then we spoke a little bit about what we might expect next, the things that we might expect some of these value systems to do and and some of the signs that we're seeing of the emergence of a new paradigm and opportunities to grow that. And um, to wrap the show up, I thought I just might mention a couple of touchy topics. Oh, touchy topics. We like like those, don't we, folks? I had had a message from a friend in Melbourne a few days ago now who was very genuinely concerned about the possibility of the imposition of martial law mm. here in Australia, and I guess I guess uh, some people are clearly concerned about that possibility with the, the kind of authoritarian uh, shutdown that has taken place, albeit you know fairly well intentioned, and I, I think without uh, too much strife at this point. Uh, here in Australia, we have in our, our army we have about forty nine thousand people. That includes reserves. I think it's you know roughly about twenty nine, thirty thousand uh, regular, fully trained soldiers. And it's really quite small, isn't it? It's, it's, it's quite small. small. I mean, we're you know we're a, a big country yeah. in terms of our size, but we're a small country in terms of our population. Yeah. And I, I just I wrote back to my friend and I just said, look, I don't you know I haven't seen any indication that that might happen, but even if they wanted to, you know, there's 25.6 million people in Australia and we have an army of about 49,000 people now. That doesn't go very far. 
And I know from experience, having spent 15 years in the army and often being challenged to try and do tasks that were really way beyond uh, you know, the possibility of, of my small number of troops that I was working with at the time, and but just having to, to make do and do the best that you can in mm. under difficult circumstances. But in, in a practical sense, you know, there just aren't enough police or military in Australia to enforce martial law nationally. It's just not going to happen. It's not a possibility, you know, that they... They sometimes struggle to cope with uh, small trouble spots, yeah. uh, you know, like the Cronulla riots and, and those sorts of things. So I, I really would put that fear to bed. I, I don't see that it's being a possibility at all. I would hope not. I mean, I did say to you off air that you know, we don't have many guns, which I'm, I'm very happy about in this country. We're not, we're not a gun-carrying gun population on one hand, so we don't have much to, uh, to fight with. On, and I also think in, in response to that, to the amount of fear that can be generated can actually uh, you know outweigh the numbers to some degree when people are that afraid of, of authority and uh, and what may happen to them if they don't abide by whatever shutdown laws are that are imposed upon them. Yeah, certainly that's true. And it is a delicate balance. And, uh, you know, I, I was going to say this is part of our summary, so maybe I'll, I'll go there now. Uh, one of the, the great risks that we face with the current lockdown in place is that um, it, it's only working because people, you know, are genuinely concerned about the threat, and they genuinely feel that they need to comply and take actions, you know, in order to keep everyone safe. And and that's a really, really good thing. If it did get to the point where it started to look ridiculous, though, and it was lasting too long, and you know, let's face it. Uh, here in Australia, we're at an economic standstill at the moment in response to a virus that has so far killed 34 people as of the latest uh, mm. figures that I have access to out of 25 and a half million. Uh, you know, it's, I mean, it's fair to understand that, well, it's really that our hospitals that we don't want to have overloaded and, you know, we're, we're doing our very, very best to minimise the casualties and all of that up until now uh, has been entirely reasonable. Uh, but if... As some politicians have been saying, you know, they wanted to extend this out to 18 months, which just to me, as I've been saying consistently over the last few weeks, is, is just a ridiculous idea, basically, mm. uh, given the facts. Then I can see some real questioning going on. And I yeah. think that would be very, very healthy if that did happen. Well, I think even in a small way, I said to you also off air that I was down at the beach this morning up here and uh, there was a, a half a dozen young folk, you know, late teenagers, early 20s clearly not really uh, doing the social physical distancing thing that much and I could feel I could read that they're just not that concerned why because it probably hasn't touched them directly I was on the beach and the beach just looked like any other beautiful day on the northern rivers of New South Wales on the beach here and you know for young people in particular if there's not an immediate impact someone in their family someone close to them if it's not really present if there's not if the deaths are not soaring through the roof pretty hard for them to stay focused on that sort of those sort of uh, regulations i think and that is human nature that's really. human nature it's, yeah. it's, it's human nature uh, while we're on the touchy topics, um, another one that's been coming up a lot in discussion on social media has been the possibility of uh, vaccines being yep. made mandatory. And again, I think that's actually a reasonable question to be asking at this point. I mean, certainly there's a lot of mainstream media coverage of uh, big pharmaceutical companies and uh, governments and people like Bill Gates who are working very, very hard to produce vaccines and have big plans to uh, to sell a whole lot of them. Yeah. 
Uh, and well, vaccines are a very big business, as everybody knows. But I was surprised by an article that we were afforded just earlier today that uh, February 23rd, CNBC had an article which describes the vaccine market in America as six times bigger than it was 20 years ago. Six times bigger, at more than $35 billion annually and providing a $44 return for every $1 invested. That's better than cryptocurrency, you know, it's, it's flying best. Um, so, you know, we, clearly there's a lot of money in that. And I guess uh, if you're pro or anti-vaccine or somewhere in the middle, that's one thing. But do you want to be uh, forcibly vaccinated for something like coronavirus? Maybe you do. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of questions to be asked here. And I think they're also putting aside proper research. So certainly, I think, putting aside, um, I heard with some of the... Uh, the uh, attempts to come up with a vaccine, putting aside uh, animal research and going straight to human uh, trials. They, they would have to, They'd have to, 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 to meet the timeframes that they're talking Precisely. about working on. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot to be concerned about there. I think that is, that is something we need to keep an eye on for sure. It's something that we will monitor, and, and yeah. uh, I agree with you, Nick. I think it is a genuine concern, and, and it's also a likely approach from layer five values. You know, that particular value system is always looking to take advantage, to exploit whatever it can. So yeah. so that uh, was, is something to keep an eye on and we will continue to do that and report the, the latest information on that. Mm. Uh, yeah, the, uh, from the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, a poll was part of the simulation that many people are aware of last, last year, we mentioned Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and the World Economic Forum had a uh, an Event 201 novel coronavirus pandemic simulation, apparently, in October 2019. And at that, the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health uh, did a poll that was part of that and said that 65% of people in the US would be eager to take a vaccine for COVID-19, even if it's experimental. I, th- I found that rather interesting. That is interesting, yeah. Yeah, incidentally, those events happen every year. It's, that wasn't a one-off yeah. uh, last year. Some people were pointing that to that as a as a, as a possible kind of conspiracy theory fuel event. But uh, I, I checked on that, and they do one every they year. It's, every a, it's year. a regular year thing True. that they do for for uh, some sort of health risk. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, let's wrap up, shall we? Uh, at this point, we still expect the health threat to peak and begin to ease within the next couple of weeks, uh, and there are signs of that already starting to happen here in Australia with the rate of new cases per day consistently dropping off across all states here in Australia. So that would suggest that uh, in terms of rates of new cases, uh, every day we have reached the peak here and we're now uh, on the back end of that. Yeah. Uh, from a values perspective, and, and I, I must say also that you know every country has its own unique set of circumstances here. And as we said last week on the show, there were probably many countries that are yet to peak, and certainly the United States is in that uh, category now. So yeah. our hearts go out to everybody there who's dealing with uh, you know the difficult aspects of that, and we we trust that uh, as communities and as uh, state and state governments and, and the federal government, you know that you will find a the best path through uh, that challenge. Indeed. From a values perspective, there is clearly a global revolution underway, and that's been underway for some time. It's just been bubbling away in the background, and really events like this uh, pandemic bring it to the, the forefront. And ultimately, it's taking us forward 
into a new communal paradigm, uh, which by all accounts ought to be the most peaceful version of humanity that we've ever seen. So mm. I, I think it is only a good thing. And there is no doubt that what is happening now in response to this pandemic is actually accelerating that movement towards the new paradigm and is, is fertilizing you know, the early stages of it. And, uh, and I, I think that is the best solution for everybody because the new paradigm will be more capable. And uh, with the same kind of analogy, we, we are all one seed. And I note a, an interesting article. I only had a chance to scan. It came through to me while we were recording today. It's called The Superorganism That Created the Pandemic, a spotlight on the species that dominates the global ecosystem by Gaia Vince and uh, points out this simple line in here that just as one infectious agent can spread throughout the network from a single point, so too can one solution. And I think that's really lovely to think that, you know, we are a super organism who, because of our nature on this planet of dominating the global eco- ecosystem, in one sense, in one way or the other, we have created this problem. We've made the conditions available for these kind of viruses to arise, perhaps you could say in this kind of way. Uh, but at the same time, that super, super organism that is us can also come up with a solution from one point at any time. Absolutely. And the great wisdom traditions tell us that, in effect, we are creating our own reality. And so it really comes down to what we're focusing on, how we're feeling about life and what we're anticipating. And the opportunity is there in this moment of quiet as we pause to think about what it is that you're focusing on. You know, are you focusing on the fearful aspects? Are you focusing on who you are and how you are being in the world? and uh, maintaining a positive outlook, expecting the best, trusting in the universe to deliver exactly what you need. And supporting each other out there in the best way that you can. Um, Thanks for tuning in today and stay safe, stay home, uh, most of you, most of the time, and stay tuned to Bay FM and to our podcast at futuresense.it. We'll be back with you next week here. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. You've been listening to Future Sense, a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name broadcast on Bay FM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Future Sense is available on iTunes and SoundCloud. The future is here now. It's just not evenly distributed.